Shalom and welcome to Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Mary Mansman, and I'm joined on this episode by my usual podcast co-host, Dan, and our special guest, co-host, Ashley. Hi, guys. Hey there. I'm usual, Dan. I'm special guest, Ashley. (laughs) The 30th annual Boston Jewish Film Festival begins November 7th and runs through November 19th. In honor of this fantastic celebration of Jewish cinema, we watch the film that will be screened at their BJFF Junior event at the JCC on November 11th, An American Tale. Produced by Steven Spielberg in 1986, An American Tale is a semi-musical animated film that tells the story of Fievel Mauskowitz, get it, and his family, Russian-Jewish mice escaping their shtetl, anti-Semitic pogroms, and Cossack cats to come to America. So let's start by saying, have we all seen this before in our childhoods? And uh, what was our impression then? And what was our impression now, Ashley? I have never, prior to us watching it, I had never seen this movie before. Uh, I had heard about it last year, briefly, just through work. But no, I wasn't expecting it to be part musical. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, But it is very 1986. It really is. Dan, how about you? Uh, as a child of the 80s, there were some very important films that came out. This was not one of them. <laughs> However, I, I vaguely remember seeing it on somebody's crappy old VHS tape with lines through it and whatnot. I remember seeing it and being traumatized by it, deeply traumatized <laughs> by this film. And then I watched it again, and I was like, that makes a lot of sense because it's depressing. It has a lot of heavy, heavy themes. Now, we talked before we started recording about The Secret of Nim, which is also a Don Bluth film that came out four years earlier. And that was... Don Bluth being the director. Director Don, Don Bluth. And that was an absolutely traumatizing film for me as an 11-year-old. Yeah. Well, it's so, based off of a book. And that I remember that movie well, because that movie had mice with red eyes and swords and stuff. And yeah. this one... Uh, just didn't stand out for a number of reasons that we're going to we're going to get into, but I don't want to take us down the road of Secret of Nim too much. <laughs> right. Um, so let's let's talk about the world building that they set out at the beginning of this film a little bit. There seem to be parallel human and mouse worlds going on. The story begins uh, with a pogrom during Hanukkah in a shtetl in what seems like it's supposed to be the Pale of Settlement. The Mouskovitz family lives in a mouse hole in the home of the Moskovitz family. Are the mice Jewish simply because they live in the house of a Jewish family, or did mice receive their own tiny Torah at a tiny Mount Sinai? Uh, what other indicators are there that these mice are Jewish? What is this world? Well, they are a mice-Jewish family, aren't they? They <laughs> so are. I, I, I seem to remember the house had some visuals that indicated, because when you saw the human beings yeah. who were living a life parallel to the mice, you could see that the human beings were very uh, suggestive of Jews during that time, 1880s, I believe, 1890s. How so? Well, they just, they seem to be wearing the clothes of Jewish peasants that I've seen in pictures and I'm sure my relatives were wearing. Um, can you just describe quickly what the Pale of Settlement is for those right. who might not so know? So the Pale of Settlement was an area in uh, Russia and Ukraine, I believe, where it was the only area that Jews were allowed to live in and uh, during certain periods of Russian history. And um, the the shtetl they're actually supposed to be living in, which I'm blanking on the name of, was actually located. It's a real place, actually located within the Pale of Settlement. And there was a lot of anti-Semitic activity there, pogroms, um, murders, blood libels. 
And, you know, works. So, so Don Bluth was not afraid to trade in stereotypes, and he definitely gave us what I believe people saw as a stereotypical Jewish peasant yeah. during that time period. It was patently obvious to me, probably even as a 15-year-old, that this was a movie about Jews immediately. Yeah. Ashley, what, what do you think? Well, I didn't really so much pick up on any overtly the Meiser Jewish references beyond the historical context. And um, yeah, but I want to go back to your idea of world building and the parallels between the human world and the mouse world, if I may. Um, When they get to America, the Mouskowitz family is now living in a sewing basket in the building of a seamstress or sewing company of some kind. We see yarn and needles and stuff sticking out of their basket. There are also alligators in the sewer of New York City, which is a long-standing urban legend, if you will. And it was just... Ever, re- never disproved. Never disproved, that's right. And piranhas. <laughs> piranhas, oh my God. So yeah, like it was just really interesting to see that that parallel, that urban legend made its way also to the mouse land, mice world. The, the, yeah. My, yeah. Mice human world. Yeah, mice and, human and spoiler world. alert, as Ashley just said, they do end up going to America. This is an immigrant story. <laughs> <laughs> and like when they get to America after they're, they're traversing from, schlepping from Russia to Germany and then onto this boat and meeting all these other immigrant uh, mammals, um, small mammals. Um, there's a there's you see the human beings go through the human being customs, and then you have the mice going through the mice customs. And they're all in the same place. And the located. human beings are up top. Now, why does and the mice, mice society require like the paperwork? Is the question that I have. Well, it it all goes back to the immigrant experience and that parallel between the human world and the mouse world as a larger metaphor for the immigrant experience, which is essentially what the movie's about. Well part of it the other part is just the heart-wrenching part of animated films that always make me upset is it the part where he's separated from his family that yes part? yes There's yes a, it just makes me so sad yeah the the gist of this film is that um on the crossing over from europe to america um Fievel, our young hero mouse uh gets washed overboard during a storm separated from his family so while he eventually does end up in America floating in a bottle um he's trying to find his family and he can't find them and there's so many near misses as he hears the the plaintive sound of a violin he thinks his papa is playing for him and it turns out to be never actually his father until the very end of course when they're reunited but it's all about his quest to find his family and during this quest he encounters so many other immigrant uh well stereotypes I think we could say. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I think you you may have listed them off for us, but we definitely had the Russian-Jewish stereotype. We had the Russian-non-Jewish stereotype. We had the heavily accented Italian stereotype, the hard-fighting, hard-living Irish mouse stereotype. Yeah. And, and Henri the Pigeon. Right. And oh, his little French, French and his harem lady. of French pigeon. Yeah. Ladies. Lady, like the, the beautiful 
dressed like beautifully dressed pigeons. The can can. They were like pigeons. yeah, yeah, pastel yeah. colored pigeons. Yeah, yeah, the can can, the yeah. can can pigeons. And actually, pigeon in French is spelled pigeon. Oh, like, interesting. In English. Yeah, well, so it, it really wasn't that far of a stretch. And of course, like, it's just so interesting too because Feivel's father. They come from, you know, Russia or the Ukraine, but Feifel's father is the only one who has an accent. It is interesting. <laughs> and Henri has a very heavy French accent, and we get into the other kinds of uh, cultures depicted, like Tony, the mouse kid, who yeah. is from Italy and has a, a heavy Italian accent. There's yeah. a, the song on the boat with um, an Irish mouse and an Italian mouse. And their accents are very heavy, but we don't really hear that much. It's, it's hard to get good voice talent these days, isn't it? Or those days, it I guess. It is quite over yeah. the top, stereotypically. And it's kind of painful. That part did not age super well, no, it didn't. in my opinion. It really didn't. No. Yeah, no one is served by these stereotypes, really. Um, but I forget if we actually mentioned one of the key things that, that all these, uh, our rodent friends, are trying to avoid when they come to America. They think that once they come to America, their world not only will be free of Cossacks, but also of cats. There's a whole song on the boat where they sing oh my God, about it's the this. Best. Oh my God, it's the best. It just, it was so catchy. I don't know, it was just so exciting. There are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. But it's just really funny too, because that chorus is juxtaposed by three different verses, one by the father, one by an Italian mouse and the third by an Irish mouse that are all somehow departing from Germany. Um, right. And all of these verses are about mice being killed by cats. <laughs> not a direct flight, right. I guess. So it's yeah, not like no. a one-to-one -one where the, the cats are anti-Semites. It's the cats are just like stand-ins for whatever oppressive group or oppressive people are stomping on the lives of these um, immigrant Mice. Lucky you didn't see some cats. <gasps> cats! Gato! Cats! Cats! I didn't see any cats. Won't it be nice to get to America where we don't have to worry about cats anymore? There are no cats in America. But back home in Mother Russia, oh, our family was traveling through the snow to Minsk. Suddenly, Papa saw those huge paw prints. When I heard him screaming, I fainted dead away. And I woke up an orphan. Oh, yeah. But, but, but there are no cats in America. And the streets are paved with cheese. Oh, there are no cats in America. So set your mind at ease. <laughs> Right. So during the pogrom scene, yeah. another spoiler alert, but yeah. it happened in the first 10 minutes, so it shouldn't yeah. count. Uh, the Cossacks were uh, committing acts of terrible violence against the Jews. Above, human Jews. Human Jews. Human Jews above ground and below ground and sort of on a lower level, I guess, on the ground. The cat Cossacks were right. doing the very same thing to the mice. Mm -hmm. So in the same scene. So yeah. they really, you know, they really paralleled it. Like, so, did they coordinate? Like, these are the questions. Yeah, and they are dressed similarly, too. And then, like, to the, the Cossacks in Russia or the Ukraine. And then when you get to America, of course, there are cats because there are cats in America and anywhere else in the world. And the cats are supposed to be what metaphors for the, 
the mob and they're all wearing t-shirts that just have <laughs> m on it oh yeah all their t-shirts just have the letter m for mob that's you know a good what? name that's a good name for a gang that. isn't it yeah <laughs> i didn't notice that at all um so yeah once they they get to america and they well once fievel gets to america he floats ashore he meets um, this, the pigeon who is building the uh, Statue of Liberty, yeah. which doesn't have a smaller, littler Statue of Liberty beside it. Um, that pigeon is actually building the real Statue of Liberty. Yeah, he, he keeps referring to it as my statue, my right. statue. You must come and see my statue. Really big props to the filmmakers here for making the Statue of Liberty actually bronze, golden yes. appearing bronze because bronze takes Not a very green. long time to turn green. Right. And most movies you see that are period pieces, they forget that. And you could really do this beautiful golden Statue of Liberty, but they always forget and they make it green. So uh, note to filmmakers, <laughs> in the early part of the 20th century, the Statue of Liberty was actually a very lovely glowing bronze color. Sorry, I just so threw that in randomly. That right. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. So, so when Fievel arrives in New York, he kind of interacts with a selection of figures that are there to prey upon immigrants, new arrivals fresh off the boat. And he interacts with one that's supposed to be a mouse that's, or wait, no, he's supposed to be a rat. He's supposed to be a rat. But secretly he's a cat wearing a fake nose. Yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. But that was really interesting to me because the the rat is revealed to be a cat in the mob. Yeah. And he's like the mob boss. Yeah, and it's just really interesting because when you think back to um well, rats are kind of rodent, so I would assume that a mouse is, would be more likely to trust a, a fellow rodent than a cat outright so it was like his way of spying on yeah the the mice people then and also, the rat is also a rat right yeah oh absolutely he's a rat he's a rat on yeah, two like levels he yeah, tries two to levels. basically sell fievel into indentured servitude yeah to a cat with, to a cat with a bu- bunch of other orphaned mice children like it's a sweatshop kind of situation which fievel quickly does escape along with his new friend tony the italian stereotype It's really interesting that the cats would rather enslave the mice than eat them. In my house, they simply get eaten. Not that I (laughs) have that many, but... Do you think that's their end goal? Because I don't know if we... Did we witness any actual cat consumption of mice? We didn't. Just acts of violence and enslaving or indentured servitude, whatever you want to call it, but... No, we did. We did because in the beginning, in the pogrom raid yeah. thing, Fievel gets eaten. Oh well, he oh he, yes, but he does right, get back out does. again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course yeah. he gets out. Or, or he gets out of everything. He he gets eaten. Well, he you know, and then he like yeah. Uh, what is it? He pulls uvula? He, yeah, yeah. He's he like pulls so, him up by <laughs> yeah his uvula and like makes the cat cough or sneeze or whatever. Right, and spits him out. Yeah, yeah. And then again, okay. when the cats are crashing this little mouse farmer's market in New York, which is yet another parallel to the human world. And there's, of course, like a soapbox basket that this lady mouse is talking on. Um, the yes, cats this... are after food. The cats are after after mice to yeah. eat. Hmm. Yeah, so in this uh, farmer's market, we've got this, this young female mouse. She's Irish. She's outspoken. She's there to pretty much unionize the mice 
into standing up to the cats because, spoiler alert, there are cats in America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this affects uh, mice of all classes because we see that there are some richer mice who I guess are from the Upper East Side or something. <laughs> and they also... Uptown. Uptown, uptown mice. mice. Uh, yeah. And they also suffer from the scourge of the cats. So um, at one point there's a rally <laughs> where they have to kind of get everyone together and Fievel is there and he, he gives a great... He's the one who comes up, with, comes up with the plan to rid themselves once and for all of their cat threat. It's so strange to me that they, they parallel the human and mouse world. Yeah. But the mouse world is tiny. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fievel basically runs into his parents five different times, though they don't see each other. Uh, the entire universe of cats seems to be also located in this very small part of, I assume, the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. And New York is in, in kind of the, the, um, the establishing shots, a massive city. But the mouse part of it is maybe a block. Yeah. I think. <laughs> they really I mean, don't. If even. There's like vertical and just a little bit. Yeah. It, they, it's, there's it's like a up and down attachment building where there, there's that sewing, um, the, the sewing shop that his father actually does work in. And I think above that is the sweatshop where Fievel is in for like five minutes. Um, so there's, there's like a, a very tiny space vertically and horizontally, which the story is encapsulated within. So the notion that they will once and for all rid this right. universe this of cats is foot. simply absurd. I mean, yeah. they've got to go through five boroughs and <laughs> wow. probably millions of cats. Right. But they got rid of, you know, the top 22 that were bothering them, right. I guess. Yeah, by sending them to Hong Kong, which I think right. is like the only reference to Asia in the entire I think so. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly, yeah, it's like all European. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from um, that. And we don't see any like cats from Hong Kong. Right. Or we don't see any immigrant mice from Asia. No. Yeah. I don't believe. That's a stereotype that we were spared. Yeah. In this film. But <laughs> Thank then, you, like, Don Bluth. Yeah. Yeah. We but again, it. like, like, what does that say? The mice wanting to send the cats to Hong Kong like are they are they able to read are they literate mice do they know I, you know what, what and These where are Hong great Kong questions. is or, or, or do they think it's just a boat that'll take them far away yes, are they literate at one point um, when his family thinks he's been you know killed in the storm that that grabs their boat the um, Kraken Kraken right right they've got uh, you see Fievel's family and they've got a photo of him with like Hebrew lettering all around it which went by really quick and I couldn't see what it said but did they write that is a question. I'm sure there were mouse memorial shops all over <laughs> the one block of the Lower East Mouse side. It's really quite shocking <laughs> and also quite shocking how quickly his family seems to just be like moving on. Like the only person who seems to be like, no, believe that he's still alive is his sister. Right. But then that also speaks to childlike naivety. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I, I guess like they're all naive coming to America right. thinking it'll be a better land. But this this tiny child who her name is Tanya. Yeah. But it gets changed to. It gets changed Tilly. to Ellis Island or something to Tilly. Yeah. And then when Fievel meets up with Tony, Tony changes his name to Philly. To, to Philly because Fievel, he, he can't like pronounce Fievel. I would have just yeah. made it Frank. Well, I mean, if I really wanted fact, to Americanize myself. In fact, Frank. I believe they chose to call him Philly because the child actor who um, lended his voice to Fievel had a nickname that was Philly. That's I just read so it on the weird. internet. It may or may not be true. But that's what I read. 
There's a lot of truth on the internet, though. And there's a lot of fake news. A lot of lies. A lot of lies. But I do want to talk about, you know, we're talking about how the mice are going in search of a better land, a cat-free world, which is America. And there's just so much American propaganda in the film. Mm. So much. Am I the only one who who picked up on this? So I saw it too. But at the same time, I... I think what they were doing here is they were reflecting what immigrants thought they would be getting when they got to America. And I, I thought that, um, and I want to talk about this a little bit more later, but mm-hmm. the way that the film is animated, the when they get to America, it looks no better. It is as dark mm-hmm. and as dirty uh, as it was back in the Pale of Settlement. There's and less snow. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the weather was a little bit better, uh, but... But it really, so there's, on, on the one hand, there's propaganda. On the other hand, there's the reality, which is just as dark and dismal for the immigrants who just arrived than where they came from. Yeah, but it's also just like America seems to constantly be shoved down Fievel's throat. You know, he's out looking for his family. He's scared. He's alone. And he hears humans reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, I right? miss that. Yeah, he... Here is you know, his father's a violinist and he's desperate and crying and searching for his father. And anytime he hears music, he gets really excited because he thinks it's his dad. And at one point he hears a violin, gets very excited, scales a building, <laughs> climbs through a window only to get stuck in a gramophone. Yes, and he's so excited. He's approaching the speaker thing, climbing in there. And then all of a sudden he gets scared out of his mind by Sousa's Stars and Stripes Forever. (laughs) And Sousa was an American composer who wrote incredibly patriotic marches. Lyrics were later added to that song, Three Cheers for the Red, White, and Blue. Hmm. And that's the part that turns on when Feifel is in there. That's the part that scares him. Mm. Oh, interesting. That is a metaphor. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, no. it's it's like this huge allegory. And then again, when they're at the the docks, I think getting ready to get rid of all the mice, they're like, "We have a plan." And there's oh, well, get rid of the cats for their cat, yeah, cat thank removal you. plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, e pluribus unum is written somewhere in that scene. So it's just like all of these subtleties that are just very like America, right? You know, but it America in at least like the the gramophone scene I thought was just very striking and very, you know, like the country as a as a villain itself. Interesting. It's, it's odd because uh, it's it's sort of the the life that the mice are striving for. When they get there, they don't they see hints of it. Mm-hmm. They see people who love the country and uh, are listening to the Star Spangled Banner. What are they? They were listening stars to Stars and Stripes, and stripes forever, forever in their free time at home, uh, like you do. Yeah. All, the, all the time. Uh, and their experience is so different. So maybe it's it's Bluth saying there is hope for you out there despite your miserable current life. The main thing living. I noticed in that scene is that some lady off camera threw a corset at Fievel to chase him out the window. And I was oh. like, oh, random. Okay. It's something for the grownups yep. in the audience, Some I jokes guess. for the grownups. <laughs> but, you know, in that, in that scene and so many other scenes, I'm just... Fievel is an idiot. 
Fievel is such an idiot. He's so dumb. And and I think that one of the interesting things about his arrival in America is each new character that he meets, he tries to be them. He tries to, which I think speaks to the melting pot, speaks to assimilation. Um, th- the thing he carries with him to remind him of his family as he's been given this hat that's been passed down from his father, grandfather, back through time. It's sort of a symbol of his heritage. But when he gets to America, he doesn't know who he is, like what his identity is. So when he meets uh, the evil cat masquerading as a rat, he starts walking like him. And when he meets oh, um, Tony, that. he starts ta- like walking like Tony walks. Like he's always trying to feel out who he is in America. He, he actually does come up with the final plan to apparently rid uh, that portion of New York from the the nefarious cat mob, which involves building um, a replica of the great mouse of Minsk, which is a story his father was telling him, which is pretty much parallel to a golem, which we've talked about in the previous podcast, Um, a a symbolic large version. uh, It's like a huge mouse construct that they create to frighten the cats onto this boat going to Asia. So, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of mixed feelings about Fievel. Yeah. On the one hand, he is portrayed as, I guess, an unintentional action hero. Yes. I don't know how many chase scenes there are in this film. It seems constant. But he's always doing something fairly clever or is lucky and stays out and and narrowly avoids getting killed or captured. Yeah. And then... At other times, he's standing there just slack-jawed, his tongue hanging out, his (laughs) hat crooked over his head, and he just looks like the biggest dumbass in in the entire Mouse universe of the Lower East Side. And and I don't know what I'm supposed to make of Fievel seeing this. He is, he's certainly not the typical movie hero. No, it is kind of weird and I don't know because I don't really remember too well the sequel to this film there's a sequel it's called Fievel Goes West oh I've heard of that one but I don't remember if he got any smarter in that one I want okay if he goes west I want to know if Tiger goes with him yeah so let's talk about Tiger okay yeah I really want to talk about Tiger so Tiger is a cat that's in the cat mob he is like this beautiful orange tabby cat person or cat being um he has a you know a shirt with an m on it and fievel is fievel somehow he follows like the alligator sewer to this mob speakeasy (laughs) of sorts where all these cats are sitting around smoking cigars playing poker whatever um and that's where we learned that who we thought was the rat was really a cat rat um and they see fievel he's struggling so hard to get away but they catch him and they imprison him and they send this cat named tiger to keep an eye on him and you know fievel's a little kid he's he but he's also really scared and he's crying and tiger becomes this this sympathetic character he develops lima syndrome which is the opposite of stockholm syndrome wherein the captor begins feeling empathy towards the prisoner and you know, wants to free him. Tiger's a vegetarian. He <laughs> loves broccoli. And that's like a bonding point between him and Fievel. And he just helps Fievel escape. And then he helps the family look for him. Yeah. You know, the family just all of a sudden is riding on his back like he's some like majestic he's a horse. He's a mensch yeah. of a cat. Yeah. And he's like, he's 
a constant throughout the ending of the film. You know, like Henri wants to show the the, the mouse family his statue, like the finished Statue of Liberty. And of course you have like four pigeons flying tiger <laughs> across the sky as the sun setting. Like how more majestic can you get? It's a beautiful finish. It's, it's <laughs> a beautiful finish and it's a beautiful friendship between him and Fievel because like it's it's the erasing of the concept of the other. Like this, yeah. this thing that they've been so terrified of. And yeah, sure, most of the cats are definitely evil in the story but there's one who rep- he's a great cat and he's so nice and he helps reunite this family because Fievel was never gonna get it done alone let's face it and like he's on the right side of history he looks a yeah. little bit like my cat does he Aww. but my cat kills mice oh, he's on the wrong side of history no, I, as far as I'm concerned he's on the right side of history <laughs> uh, but yeah as far as this movie's concerned um, Tiger is really quite lovely and one of the highlights and yeah, definitely. Their friendship is special and weird. Yep. Yes. Or maybe it's that the cats were misjudging him this whole time and sort of othering him mm-hmm. because yeah. he was he didn't align with their violent anti-mouse agenda. Yeah, and the only reason he was included in that is because he's a cat. Right. Like just So by default, he yeah. was in, he was in the mob. Yeah, exactly. That's a much more positive way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, and like Fievel and Tiger, they even have a song together. Yeah. Like, we'll scratch each other's backs, right. you know? Like, we're, we're, we're pals. We're, we'll stick to this through yeah. and through. Something I liked about that song scene is that you see them in reflection, and when they're reflected, they appear as the same size, which I thought was really symbolic of, like, they're equals, they're friends. It's not captor and captive. I just literally gasped when I remembered that. <laughs> yeah. You're so right. They were the exactly the oh same my size. God. I and didn't maybe know that. I was confused when I was looking at it, but yes, that was no accident. Yeah. I yeah. think it's I think it's symbolic. And they sing, Let's you and me be who we are. Yeah. A duo. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. an amazing that is an enjoyable bit of this film. Yeah, but I didn't realize that they were depicted as being the same size during that scene. No. Yeah. That's so clever. That's major. Yeah. That's major. Uh I want to talk a little bit about whether this movie would be made today. And I, I had something <laughs> struck me when, when this movie started because I didn't remember it very well from 1980, whatever, when I was oh, 50. I don't know how old I am now. But watching this, watching this film as a child, it didn't mean much. But now when you look at this film as a, a hand-drawn, oh, hand, hand-animated film, it is so much more beautiful than any computer generated. Now, they can make a mouse and an action scene look absolutely incredible now, but there's nothing organic or beautiful about it. Exactly. Well, there's, it's, I think, I mean, there is beautiful animation now and you can make it heartfelt. I just think that there's something you have to think about when this type of animation was being done. These are all hand-drawn cells. And yeah, and the that, backgrounds these were poor like, animators. The backgrounds were impressionist paintings. They were incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and all this stuff was done by hand. And it's so... Uh, you know, vivid and there's depth to it. And while, of course, they can produce better CGI now. Yeah. Um, but there's something also uh, a little bit nostalgic about seeing this and seeing how it used to be done mm-hmm. and how beautiful that the, well, the film is ridiculous. It's funny. <laughs> it's beautiful. I was, uh, I heard an interview with one of the makers of Toy Story. Yeah. And they said that in Toy, the first Toy Story was pretty early mm-hmm. CGI. And they had a really hard time making things look dirty. They said the oh. hardest thing to do with computer animation is to make something look lived in yeah. or real. Everything 
at least in the you know early 2000s, late 90s, uh, really looked um, very sterile. Mm-hmm. And when you make a movie like American Tale, you can just really, with your animators, make something so real. I felt, I was feeling filthy, smelly, right. overcrowded <laughs> New York. Tenements. And, and I felt it, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you don't see that in movies now so much. They're beautiful to look at and they're a lot of fun, but, but there's nothing, well, some of them are, but many of them are just, they don't have this immersive quality because mm-hmm. it doesn't look like real life. Wow. Not that this looks like real life, but it looks like a relatable, <laughs> understandable right. yeah. scene. Let's oh, give mad just... props to the animators for this. Yeah, yeah good work, guys. Yeah. If, if you're still with us, Mazel Tov, thank you. Wait, but before we wrap this up, I just want to talk about something that, Dan, you pointed out that I think we all realized during the film. What happened to the baby? Oh, the baby. <laughs> so the because... its family has, in addition to Fival and uh, Tanya, Tonya, yeah. uh, a baby at the beginning of the film, and it's gone. And at first I was like, did they eat it? But they didn't. They ran out of budget. And by they, I mean the filmmakers, not the mice. They ran out of budget. They ran out of budget to animate the baby. Okay, I'm sorry. Steven Spielberg had made Indiana Jones the year before. It's just what I read online, Dan. He (laughs) was rolling in dough and produced this film, and they ran out of money to draw a baby. One animator, maybe three animators to draw this baby just snug in his mother's arms as the baby well they also the ended time. up cutting like we were talking about how like is this a musical is it not because there's a couple songs and yeah they cut a bunch of songs because they didn't have the budget oh. for that either oh that's so interesting yeah so it's supposed to be i guess it was supposed to be a little bit more along the lines of a musical yeah and now it's kind of like a eh, musical the hat is also very inconsistent because mm-hmm. sometimes you see it with him and then sometimes you don't like when he's not his symbolic hat yeah yeah like when he's when he's not wearing it it disappears but right before he puts it on his head it suddenly reappears but is that a metaphor for his jewish identity probably yeah interesting or is it just or is it just inconsistencies (laughs) but yeah no you had a really good point though about the jewish identity thing yeah so at the end of the at the beginning of the film the very first scene it's Hanukkah, and he's given, what is he given as a gift? His grandfather's hat that's his father wore, and now it's his. And Fievel, of course, doesn't fit in this hat because he's a tiny mouse baby. Um, and at the end of the film, when he's reunited with his family, the hat fits. And I think it's sort of meant to be a, here, who are you? What is, who are you in this new world? Oh, you're still, you know, you're still a Jewish mouse. <laughs> Yeah, but, in the line of Jewish mice. <laughs> but also, you know, changes from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. When Fievel meets Henri the pigeon, he um, Henri calls Fievel my little immigrant, my little immigrant. You right. know, like that's how he refers to him. But at the end, I think the last line of the film, Henri calls him my little American. Yeah. Because he's made it. He did it. He made it in America. I don't know that he, you know, I don't know that they're employed, that they had a house. I really don't know what qualifies. We don't know what happened. We know that they dealt with the cat mafia. Right. And apparently the only mouse, I'm sorry, the only cat that's left is Tiger. (laughs) Tiger. (laughs) So that's A-OK. a strongly pro-mouse vegetarian cat. That's right. Baruch Hashem. Yes, thank God. So yeah, let's let's talk about what we think this movie was trying to say and what we're taking away from it. Dan. Oh, <laughs> payback time because I did it to Ashley. Uh, well, I I, think, I deflected. I I, I think. Or it, even um, is it saying something? 
Yeah, I think it was. I mean, in a very simplistic and kind of um, lighthearted way, it was trying to show that uh, the journey from oppression in Eastern Europe uh, was awful Mm -hmm. and dangerous, and it took a lot of courage to start a life in a new country, and it kind of sucked there, too, when you first got there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But eventually, and it didn't say through persistence and hard work and whatever else, it said maybe through luck and some key allies and some smarts, you can make it. And I think, you know, that that's a great message. Um, I love the idea that America in that time was a welcoming place to people who were oppressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't talk about uh, groups of people on boats as migrants, or we didn't say they're they're coming to our shores, build a wall. They were welcome, and they got to Ellis Island. Yeah. They said, oh, your name is weird. Let's change it to this, which is, that's okay. Yeah. That, that happens. But uh, America was a place where many people were welcome. Many people came in. And, of course, the people who did, the mice who came in ended up contributing greatly to mice culture in our present day. So <laughs> yes. thank you, mice, pioneers, and immigrants. We owe a lot to you. I, um, I well, one message, well, it's more of a downer, um, but I thought, you know, there's going to be people everywhere who hate Jews. <laughs> they're in Russia and they're here too. So we just have to make the best of it and hopefully uh, find some cats who are good and can help us. We, we usually tiger. do. Yeah. We, we usually yeah. do. Yeah. There are good vegetarian broccoli eating cats That's everywhere. Right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> For me, it was about like staying true to yourself. You mm-hmm. know, like Tiger's re- like almost relieved when he gets to tell Fievel that he's a vegetarian yeah. cat who loves broccoli, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but broccoli's delicious, so it's okay. But, you know, Fievel, uh, Mary, you brought up a really good point about how Fievel was, you know, imitating the people he was around. But at the end, like he really just, he grows into the hat. He grows into its own. And I think the message here is just, being true to who you are in your community and, and where you come from. Yeah. And and every ethnic stereotype that the movie chose to parody or whatever, uh, for what it's worth, they stayed true to themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the Italian, the Irish, the, uh, the French, they spoke with heavy accents. They seemed to be proud of where they came from. And I think that's another... Another point, which is you don't have to, you can, you can learn your place in the melting pot that is America, but you don't have to lose your, your culture, your identity. You can remain, like you said, Ashley, you can remain who you are. And Fievel can stay there with his tongue out and hat on. And Yeah. We also never talked about the fact that he never, when he's looking for his family, he never goes, mama. It's always, papa, like hurtful And, and for not, the mom. Yeah. Yeah. A little that's, bit. Yeah. That, uh. That probably hurt her quite a bit, though she had decided he was dead a long time ago. Right. So maybe it yeah. was fine. And it was only Tilly who was. Who had the belief. T- Tilly, Tanya. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they have this beautiful, like, moonlit song montage thing where they're singing to each other across the, the New York sky. Yep. <laughs> she never gave up hope. And neither should we, even though situations yeah. <laughs> might be very dismal and desolate right now. We will be like these mice. We will be. So like these the mice. one, the one last question I think we should answer because yeah. you know we may have some parents listening to this who may be thinking about sending their children to this Boston Jewish Film Festival. I believe that it is a very good movie for children, despite some of the things that we that we mentioned. There, it it's a little bit more challenging than a movie like Toy Story for sure because it tracks a time in American history that was 
um, sometimes unpleasant. And, you know, there are some scenes of, of animal peril uh, that might scare kids a little bit. But I think the overall message, as we're saying, is, is a good one. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to explain to your child what a pogrom was, too. <laughs> <laughs> they never call it that. Just how about a, clearly uh, that. a riot with extra fire? Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think above all this, that the film is really suitable for people of all ages. I mean, like we as young adults can put aside the cultural deference of the times and, and really realize that, you know, 1986 stereotypes weren't as frowned upon as they, they are today. But still, I think it's a good opportunity. And the Boston Jewish Film Festival this year has a wide array of fantastic films coming up. Um, Jewish Boston, we are actually media partners and co-sponsors of their Fresh Flicks event, which is happening on Thursday, November 8th at the Somerville Theater in Davis. If you want to see all of the films and screenings taking place at this year's festival, you can go to jewishboston.com slash BJ. FF for Boston Jewish Film Festival. And make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes of the Vibe of the Tribe podcast by subscribing on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Pods, and make sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media. Thanks, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope to see you at Fresh Flicks. Yeah, guess what, Jesse? There are no cats in America.